episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 30. This week I spoke to Brett Williams from Enthusiast Motor Insurance. Brett comes from a mini truck background, but has worked in the automotive insurance field for quite a long time. I wanted to reach out to our listeners too. I'm chasing a couple of well-known guests for interviews on the podcast, and I'm hoping one of you may have some kind of a seven degrees of separation that might help me get in touch with them. The first one is the Aussie icon, Dr. Harry Cooper, the vet. Harry drives a classic pickup as a daily truck, and I would love to get hold of him for a chat. The second is Toby Price of Dakar and Fink Desert Racing Royalty. Toby has a laid out F100, and it would be great to have a chat to him if someone has a direct contact to him. Now we get into a couple of trickier ones. Eric Banner, who I'm sure needs no introduction. And if you have watched Love the Beast, you'll know his passion for the automotive scene. He also has a really nice original F100 that I'd love to have a chat to him about. And the final guest I'm chasing, and I need your help with, and it's a long shot I know, is Clint Eastwood. I'm a massive fan of his movies, always have been. And the one thing I've noticed over all the years is that his character is always driving a beat up old Ford F truck. I could list out five to 10 movies easily where he's driving one. I'm convinced he loves them and I would love to have a chat to him about it before it's too late. So if you can help me with any of these guys, please get in touch. I've been trying via their agents and social media pages, but so far no luck. Thanks and enjoy this chat with Brett. The audio on this one is quite challenging. I had a squeaky roof vent spinning in my shed that I hadn't noticed at the time of recording. So I've done my best, but there is a bit of a background noise in this one. Brett, thanks for coming on board today and having a chat to me. I know you're uh, you're busy working from home by the look of things, but uh, good to have a chat to you. Yeah, good good to be here, mate. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, I first heard about you and, and Enthusiast Insurance uh, listening to another podcast, Gutter to Gutter podcast with uh, Static and Shonk. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a bit of a classic car scene while band and, and he bought uh, a 59 Ford Custom line from a Shannon's classic car auction. And I, I think that, you know, most people, when they think classic car insurance, they think Shannon's. And, and we're going to chat today about enthusiast motor insurance and uh, interested to hear, you know, some other options for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a history with Shannon's. I worked there for six, seven years. A couple of the other guys were there for a, about a half a decade each. And I've got to say my first job in the insurance industry was Shannon's. And I was super excited to be there because... They're, they're, they're a monster. They're the king of the hill in classic car insurance. So it was it was good to get some experience from there and then come over to Enthusiast and use that and build what we're doing now. Yeah, it's fantastic. So we'll wind back the clock a little bit, uh, start with your background. Uh, early days for you, what, what are your first memories of, of automotive things or cars? What what got you into the, the field? Uh, Penrith mini trucking. So <laughs> uh, 
just lurking around Penrith Maccas on a Thursday night, just hanging out, listening to stereos that were too big for small cars and following the ZA guys around. The Zero Altitude guys were a big deal. Still are, actually. They're still kicking it. Um, we followed some of those guys around and then worked up the balls to introduce ourselves. I've kind of known those guys and many others ever since. There's definitely a big scene by the sound of things, uh, especially around Sydney during that era. What what was the first what was the first car you got? Uh, my first car was a, a bagged Hilux, which I bought off another ZA member. We uh, we were kind of throwing messages backwards and forwards on a forum one night, and he told me if I got ten grand together, I could take it off his hands. So picked that up, uh, drove it around, not knowing much about the whole air suspension modified chassis sort of deal for a few months and went around, saw some other trucks getting built, saw some other trucks that my mates had bought and really just just went elbows deep and cut the back end off the thing and rebagged it and rewired it and it was it was, it was a learning experience for sure. I, I made I made a lot more friends through that than I thought I would. I thought everyone would hate me after buying this bloke's truck and cutting it up, but spending time in the backyard with all the with all the boys and girls, it, it really really shaped me automotively. Yeah, so it, it had been built a bit of a, will we say, backyard hack job and, and it was time to sort of upgrade it a bit. Yeah, it was kind of in the middle there. So the quality of the work itself was like the welding and the, the actual metal work itself was really good. It's just the design and kind of the strength of the whole setup and the geometry of the suspension wasn't really uh, cutting edge, so to speak. But yeah, it was definitely in need of some help. So that, at that stage, you know, there, there are a few shops starting to do that professionally. Is that right? Yeah. So Killer Customs was in Penrith. Um, there was Live and Low out in the out towards Southwest Sydney. They were just getting going, and they, they were really the two bigger shops at the time. And the Chop Shop was up at Gosford, just doing top level stuff from day one. And uh, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of forum activity in those days, a lot of pictures coming up quicker than you could believe trucks were getting built. So it was, wasn't was so competitive, but there was definitely this kind of who's going to do the best sort of work first sort of vibe going on. And and were you following, you know, like the US street truck scene, you know, with the, you know, say like a Chevy Silverado or a square body stuff? Was was that always, oh, look at look at what, what we'd love to have, but here's what we've got and, and we'll make the best in the mini truck scene or, or for you was it mini trucks were were the lot i think uh the full-size trucks were always kind of aspirational so you'd always look to the street trucks and the the tailgate magazines for the bigger stuff and you just couldn't believe that trucks this big were just laid out on the ground with 22 inch alcoas on them and stuff like that and then it was it was kind of like that it was like a trickle down effect to what we could get our hands on and what we could afford to do here in australia um we start to see this kind of as as a lot of us in the scene are getting older, we're going more towards classic stuff and the square body and even to some extent kind of like the the more square body Fords, the F series. A lot of people are building mini trucks and then like, all right, I'm done with that. I'm going to build a real truck now, sort of mentality. And it, it's it's really bringing a lot of diversity to the scene. It's not just Hiluxes and Rodeos everywhere now. Yeah, and, and I've heard of a lot of guys who, you know, maybe they, they still had their old mini truck from back in the day and then they've they've gotten, a, you know, like a 50 Chevy truck and they've actually done a chassis swap. So, like, 
all the hard work was sort of done already and they're just doing a body swap. I don't think you can do much of that anymore, but I know that was happening for quite a while there. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a few decent older trucks getting around. So Aaron from Memphis Hell, his Chev is on a Rodeo chassis. Uh, Russell, who's in NC, he's he's on a Hilux chassis and he's building a 48 GMC. Um, one of the guys down in Melbourne's got his F truck on a HQ chassis and that's great. But um, yeah, it's, it's a smart move. These guys have got everything dialed in and then they just have to do the mechanics of putting the body on and doing the modifications to make it all work. But it's, it's a really, really good way to do it. Yeah, especially, you know, you can go to Repco and get your brake pads or something like that. It's it's not a custom order trying to get things from the States like a lot of things are now. Yeah, exactly right. Some, I mean, when you look at Aaron's truck, the floor pan in his Chevy body is the Rodeo floor pan. So the engineering the seat belts and all of that sort of stuff was just like ticking a box. It was really smart to do it that way. Yeah. Gee, that truck's seen a few changes over the years, hasn't it? I um. I think every time I follow it, he's done another custom upgrade to it. It's a beautiful truck. Yeah, he's 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 just one of those blokes that he he sees something and his mind just starts figuring out how can I do that and put my spin on it, and it just always ends up brilliant. I mean, mm. but you you got to love him as much as you hate him when you see the stuff he does. You're just like, how do you do that? And how do you do it so quick and nobody knows about it? <laughs> yeah. I'm in the build on my truck at the moment and, and you know, like I've got a million things I'm trying to think about doing and and then I, I look at guys who, you know, they've got a finished truck and everything's done and then it's they've probably got that they've got that same drive, like oh what else can I do to improve it? And that's where you get these really, really detailed builds is because they've just got time to tinker away and, and upgrade the whole way along. Yeah, that's it. I think all of us when we're when we're thinking about what we're building, we've got this idea in mind and like goalposts almost and as we progress closer to the goalposts they just keep moving further and further away because our ideas get bigger and better and we just get further invested in it yeah and it's even harder now like you can get on instagram in two seconds and see 30 different trucks that are similar to yours and and you just pick out a little idea that you like and all of a sudden your brain's just going nuts on you yeah it's it's good to have that sort of resource it kills me as much as it as much as it inspires me i'll see someone who's building something and it is just absolute next level like out of this world stuff and i'm like Mate, oh, oh, i'll never get to that level but it's nice to see that you're doing that because i can just admire it from a distance <laughs> and i know that my paycheck will never afford some of the stuff i see it's out of control yeah it is getting pretty up there <laughs> so so what do you drive now like are you still have you still got a, a mini truck or have you got a classic what what's in your shed yeah so at the moment i'm building a holden rodeo it's a shorty um about five, six years ago, I was hanging around the chop shop with the with the other boys in NC, and I was just pipe dreaming about building this V8, big guards, body dropped on the ground, just some angry little mini truck. And then Laurie just turned around and said, why don't, why don't you buy that one, which was up on the racks in the factory, which was a truck he built and then put on the shelf for later. So I bought that, and uh, Aaron's done a rear clip on a chassis for me, and I've just landed an iron block LS and a big 88 mil turbo from the states and it's on coilovers 20 inch billets 9 inch it's just it's kind of going to be in the middle of the street machine slash mini truck area um plans are to go really fast do some airport events in it and just go as fast as i can in a straight line and hopefully slow down at the other end but yeah that's that's what i've got going on at the moment it's it's due for a bit of work it's been sitting idle for a, a little while now so i'm pretty keen to get into that once the engine gets to my doorstep 
Yeah, cool. So that's a, an iron block out of a US truck. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna go just the alloy block LS, but I want to throw some hefty boost at it. So you got to go with what YouTube tells you and get the iron block. So got a few thousand dollars extra later, and I'm just sitting there waiting for it now. Yeah. So what is that? Do you get that through Soheim, or, or where did you get that one? No, through LS Iron Blocks Australia. So yep. I'm in a bunch of boosted LS groups on Facebook, and this fellow just popped up randomly and had a decent enough looking website and um just i just went for it sent him some money and fingers crossed and it's been very very good to deal with so i'm i'm very keen i'm i'm absolutely itching to just turn some tires yeah yeah it's funny before we got on this uh call for this interview i was sitting here uh researching my compound turbo setup for my cummins diesel so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so power is key. Exactly. Uh, so you, you said you worked. Um, so you've been in insurance kind of your whole professional life. Is that right? Yeah. I um, Straight out of school, I was just, my sister got me a job at um, Accent Blinds of all things. And I was just kind of in between the factory and the office, just doing whatever, just earning some money. Um then I went into leasing for a little bit, managing companies' fleets like Qantas and Combank and that sort of stuff. And yeah, I got bored of that pretty quickly. It was a very vanilla job, kind of rock up in your tie, sit there, do your work, go home, et cetera, et cetera. Then a job at Shannon's just came up. Somebody pointed me in that direction. I, I applied, went in for an interview, spent half the day there just chatting with the two team leaders that I met. And they just, before I left, they rang me and said, come back upstairs and offered me a job as just as kind of like an entry-level underwriter, just on the phones, selling insurance, talking this, that, and going out to events and spending a lot of time doing that. Yeah, that would have been a huge perk because, you know, I remember growing up, every time we went to a really cool show, it was sponsored by Shannon's. You know, they've been really supportive of, of the whole um, automotive industry over all the years. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the upper levels of management really, I think they get that that is a necessity in the motive, motoring scene. You need to be a part of it. You have to show your face and shake hands and see people's car in person. And kind of, they they have to see that you're, you're kind of their people. You need to understand what they're doing as much as they need to understand what you're trying to do for them. Yeah, no, nothing worse than ringing up about your classic car and getting someone that probably just drives a Camry and, and wouldn't know what you're talking about. I mean, it's it's like what you're you're doing now. You know, you guys are, are all enthusiasts, and and when I ring up and say, "Oh, I've got a 1950 Chevy with a Cummins 12 valve," you don't look at me, or you know, you don't go, "Oh, what the hell are you talking about?" You sort of, you know, especially sounds like you got a real idea of, of that whole um, scene. You know, yeah, it, it definitely helps. Uh, we're at enthusiasts. We're pretty picky. Um, I mean, Shannon's as picky as it is when they hire people, but we kind of we want to make sure people don't just know kind of what they like. They need a very rounded knowledge of automotive in general. So custom stuff, exotic, rare, classic, vintage, everything in between, even up, up to modern day stuff. It's, it's just better if they are a real enthusiast, not just someone who only likes Nissan Skylines, for example. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's talk um, enthusiast then. What, if if I were if we were to say to our listeners, you know, okay, I've been insured by Shannon's for the last ten years and I've been happy. 
here's this new company that I've not heard of before. Why should we come in and have a bit of a look at you guys? Well, there's, there's kind of two main aspects that I focus on. Uh, the front end of things, so when you ring up and make an inquiry, get a quote if you're happy with the, the way it's going. Uh, we kind of drill down a little bit further on the details to make the policy suit a little bit better. So with most of the other classic insurers, they have like a weekend use or they have a, a once a month use or a daily driver. We drill it down in kilometer brackets, which are constantly adjustable depending on what you're doing. So that every thousand kilometers really does make a difference on the price all the way down to 1000 kilometers if you do your uncle's wedding one year or something like that. And then on the other side of the coin, which is probably more important after you've made it. So yeah, the, on the more important side of things, in my opinion, is the claims aspect. So uh, knock on wood, you never have to make a claim, but if you do, it's very, very, very important that number one, the communication is there. And number two, it's somebody who understands what's going on. Uh, you don't want to ring up with your project car that you put thousands of hours into and spent countless dollars on, and somebody picks up the phone and they don't know what it is. So we make sure that first thing, there's good communication, which is, I, I can't I can't say it enough how important that is to me. Coming from coming from Shannon's and moving over to Enthusiast, there's a lot of things I've wanted to improve and that was one of them. So I find that the feedback we get when people actually do have to make a claim, that we get very good feedback because we're just on top of it from the get-go, just keeping that ball rolling until the car's repaired. Yeah, which I, I imagine can be a bit of a tough thing when you, you know, you, you're a company like Shannon's that gets so big, you know, you, you employ as many good staff as you can, but you, you're always going to have a few that get a bit lost and and don't give the best service, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's mistakes everywhere. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. It's unavoidable as human beings. It's just a case of what what you fall back on. What's your, your base level of service sort of thing? So we try really hard just to be the best that we can be in comparison to the other guys out there. And that's working really well for us. And, and how long have enthusiasts been on the scene? Like how long have you guys been operational? Uh, in total, just over 10 years. We just had our 10-year anniversary in February. Uh, typically, for until I came on board, it was very broker-based. So they only dealt with brokers and there was the odd retail client in there from word of mouth, but they certainly didn't advertise to that sort of thing. So when I came on board, the objective was to switch that. So make it much more of a retail brand, be very heavy on social media advertising, get out to car shows and be a much more personable brand. Um, truth be told, brokers aren't the easiest to deal with because they don't understand the cars that they're trying to insure. So go, by going direct to the public, you're helping them out by saving them money, not having to go through a broker and pay those fees. And you're also being able to get out there to car shows and sponsor clubs and Run, run ads in magazines and support those sorts of things as well. So, were you were you effectively poached from Shannon's? What what was the what got you to decide to make the move, or, or how did that all go for you? No, it was very much. Uh, so, at, at Shannon's, I was on the phones for years. So, four four years, five years, I was on the phones, and I had a, a mentor. His name was Tony O'Donnell. Very very heavy hitter in the in the hot rodding industry. He's a member of the Dragons Hot Rod Hot Rod Club. And he kind of took me under his wing because I put my hand up for every possible event and I wanted to get out there and just meet the people, become more of a more of a, a known person in that sort of scene. And then that led to when he retired from being the business development manager, I kind of just naturally progressed into that. So 
going from answering the phones to being the person who's responsible in New South Wales or Sydney for all the events and the sponsorships and all of that sort of thing, it was uh, it was a big step. <laughs> uh, the responsibility level goes through the roof and you find yourself being approached any time of the day on the mobile or if you're at a car show, you're getting torn left and right, going to look at this car or that car or speak to this person. And it really, I think that was the bigger eye opener than just starting to work at Shannon's was being kind of thrown headfirst as the representative of Shannon's in this area and just really being a face and a voice of the brand itself. And my boss at the time, a gentleman called Paul Gates, he was a very, very brand focused man. He is, He's, he makes sure that you are representing the brand well, and if you're not, then he'll let you know. So when I was doing the BDM role for a while, uh, this ad got sent to me for the enthusiast role by a friend who was at Shannon's um, up until about a year before I left. And he said, what's going on, mate? Are they advertising your job? <laughs> so I had a look at this ad, and it was for a different company because I noticed they um, – the ad had a heavy focus on social media stuff. And I was like, well, that's not Shannon. So I made an inquiry and went in and had a chat. And that was pretty much it. The job was too good to pass up. It was was definitely a much more of a business development role. So actually taking this brand that needed to be built and needed a bit of uh, life breathed into it and really changing the core of the business and moving it towards where they wanted it. Yeah, so they, they haven't been focused so much on on the general public builders and that's something that you're focusing more on now. Is that sort of what's happened? Yeah, definitely. So the, the portfolio of cover is there's a lot of kind of classic cars and vintage cars and really, really, really old cars that just do not get driven. So it was all the kind of stuff that insurance brokers couldn't put anywhere else. So it all went to enthusiast. And I've come on board and another guy named Shane, he's he's kind of like the head of the underwriting deal at, at enthusiast. We, we've really turned it towards people who are just absolute freaks for cars. So it's, it's definitely a changing portfolio and it's, it's been, it's been a good journey getting getting the existing enthusiast team members on board and saying, well, this is where we're going with it and this is how we're going to do it. But yeah, it's it's starting to be very good. Yeah, so if, if someone like me, you know, I'm halfway through a resto, but I've probably got 20, 25 grand worth of truck sitting there at the moment if I were to replace everything and it's nowhere near being on the road, you know, can I ensure that with you guys as a project? Yeah, so there's a cover called laid up cover, which is specifically for that sort of thing. It's either for cars that don't get driven or it's for cars that are being built. So you could have the body at home, you could have the chassis off at a fabricator's place, you could have an engine with your builder, and it's all covered under the one policy in its respective locations. When it's together back at home or if it's being transported to and from places to be worked on, it's all covered under that. And that naturally progresses into like a road going cover where we just make a few adjustments and you're ready to go drive it. And your general insurance, like you were saying earlier, it's got a lot to do with how many Ks you drive the car. Like it, it can break down in different price brackets. Yeah. So if, if you've got something custom in the garage, you, most people don't drive it every day. More respect to the people that do. That's, that's fantastic. I love to see that. But you'll have your daily drive and you, then you might have a project or a couple or you might have a couple of motorbikes as well. 
And when you sit down and think about you actually drive every year, you might drive your daily drive at 10,000 Ks and your weekend you might barely touch. So there's a lot of movement for, for that sort of thing. And that in effect, in effect brings down the pricing on that sort of thing as well. And what about sort of market value versus agreed value? You got the option to sort of say, look, this is how much I want to insure my build for. Yeah. So we're very big on that. So we want, we don't say how much do you want to insure it for and then give you a yes or a no. So we definitely want to work with people. I mean, the hardest part about coming to an agreed value is knowing on my side how much money I'm spending and how much I'm going to spend on my truck and also knowing that I probably won't be able to insure it for that much, but there's somewhere where that fits in. I mean, we we have those discussions every day. Sometimes they go well, other times expectations are unrealistic sometimes we need more of an education so we spend the time going out there and seeing what other cars are out there what they're selling for what money's gone into them it's that's probably the most involved part of the whole quoting process yeah that's good and what about appreciation you know like say say i've got a stock standard 66 chevy and i've got it sitting here and i've got it insured and then over the years, that vehicle's actually going up in value, whereas traditionally, if you think about insuring a Camry or something, it's going to go down in value. Does that get taken into account? Absolutely, yeah. So that's where having the right people on board comes comes to fruition. So at a, at a classic insurer like us, you'll, people will be doing a renewal of a policy and look at something and go, oh, that's not right. We'll give that a little bump. Or we'll send out a renewal saying, if you're not happy with your agreed value, get in touch. We can have a look at it. But the conversation's always open there. I mean, you're right. Modern cars, depreciation's crazy. But every car gets to a point where it kind of bottoms out and then starts working its way up or staying steady. But classic classic American metal and European metal and to a large degree Australian metal these days, it's it's going up a lot faster than historically has. Yeah, I mean, if you, you know, if you've got a relatively rare Commodore at the moment, you know, in the last couple of years, it's probably shot up in value just due to Holden closing down, for instance, you know? Yeah, so that that's always an interesting discussion. So you've definitely got the ones that are appreciating, but then you've got old mate with the SV6 six-speed manual that thinks it's worth 45 grand now just because Holden doesn't sell them anymore. But it's it's definitely a case of, knowing what you're talking about and being able to explain that in any situation with any vehicle in in kind of in retrospect back in the days working at shannon's there were a lot of conversations where it was not nah, we'll give you 20 grand that's it i've i saw this one on car sales the yours isn't worth any more than that and that's not what we train our guys to do uh they have to have conversations we're not here to tell you what your cars were we're here to try and ensure it for what we we think and what you think, agreeingly, it's it's worth for an insurance value. And and what happens is is there a bit of a difference for you know like a lot of a lot of guys who've got a classic car, it, it sort of can become a promo vehicle or a work vehicle versus just a, a weekend driver. Is there a differentiation there as far as what it's used for? Yeah, well, we get there's another category that kind of fits into that. A lot of people will kind of chuck an ad up on Facebook or in a magazine or something and they'll do weddings as well. So we're in a position where we can incorporate business usage as well. So there's, there's quite a few shop trucks getting around actually that we've got on the books. They just, they say, look, I've, I own XYZ custom shop. 
I've spent all this money building this truck and I, I, I want to have it on display out the front. I want to take it to car shows. I want to do a parts run every now and then. And we're more than happy to cover that sort of thing. It's, it's part and parcel. If you're not supporting the people who are building the cars in the scene, then you're not really supporting the scene. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, other questions I had were, okay, as far as repairers, can, can you choose your own repairer? How, how does that go with you guys? Yeah, so that's another thing we're, we're very heavy on. It's choice of repairer only. Uh, we don't have a repairer network. Uh, historically, repairer networks turn claim situations into garbage because you've got your beautiful custom car and then you don't know where to take it and the insurance company would tell you who they think is good but turns out that repairer fixes taxis six days a week so they don't know what they're doing either um, if somebody comes to us with choice of repairer we and they don't have a choice or they don't know or they just bought this car they didn't build it we'll have a discussion with them we've got a pretty good knowledge base if we don't know someone then we'll know someone who does know someone and we could have that conversation and kind of steer them in the right direction. But in, in no case will you ever have an enthusiast policy where we will tell you where to take the car. That's just not the way we do it. Yeah, cool. And and that probably follows on a bit to, you know, genuine parts versus repop, you know, panels and things like that on a build. Is, is that something that there's a bit of freedom for? Yeah, look, if there's genuine parts available, then by all means, that should be what's going on to it. The, your car should never be in lesser condition than it was before an accident. So if my classic vehicle's uh, declared a write-off, am I am I still able to keep it? Can I buy it back? How does that kind of work? You know, like a lot of the times financially to some people it would be a write-off, but let's just say it was my grandfather's vehicle or something like that. It, it's got a, a meaning to me more than its monetary value. Um, what's the stance there? Yeah, so salvage rights come in kind of different levels with us. So I'll start at the newer end of things. If it's between zero and 15 years old and it's a write-off, you can buy it back, not a problem. If it's between 50, 15 years old and 30 years old, then you have the option to add salvage rights. And that's usually about 50 to $60 a year. And that means you get the car back for nothing. Any vehicle that's 30 years old or more, it's free salvage automatically, so it's it's not an additional cost in the back end of the policy. It's just a, a box is ticked on our system. So you get your agreed value back. If you have to pay in excess, we'll keep that small portion, but you also get the car back as well. We'll take it wherever you want it and drop it there for you. Gee, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a huge advantage. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have something I've invested so much time and effort and thought and passion into and then for an insurance company to turn around and say, well, it's ours now. You either don't get it back or you have to buy it back. So we, we try to provide options that other insurers don't. So a lot of other insurance companies, if it's not older than 30 or 35 years, it's just it's going to auction. Sorry, if you want it, go to the auction and try and buy it. But yeah, the, the amount of effort that goes into the cars that we're all involved in, it would be just a shame to see that car taken away from somebody. I mean, yes, you get the money, but it's not always about the money. It's it's definitely about the time and the love you put into it. Yeah, and at any time, you know, I, I guess if you just bought your vehicle complete, then then its value is probably around about what you've paid for it. But you know, if you've if you've spent those thousands of hours in the workshop building it yourself, you never ever get that money back for your for your labor hours and your blood, sweat, and tears. So, yeah, to be able to have that option you know, to get the vehicle back. I think, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think 
a very high percentage of all of us out there working on our cars where we might not all admit it, but we're very sentimental. And like that, that one bolt down there that it took me an hour to get out and replace when I was doing that part of the car, it, it might, that memory might stick with me forever. And it's all those little memories added up, just make this car worth or this truck worth more than any money I put into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I like that. Um, and I, I read on your website, you've got a, a lifetime repair guarantee, which I think is a pretty, pretty cool thing. Yeah. So that's, a, that's another thing that we adjusted when I came on board. It was uh, industry standard at the time was the repairs were guaranteed for as long as you had the vehicle, but it needed to be up to speed with kind of the, the new way it is, which is it's re- guaranteed for the life of the vehicle, not just as long as you own it. So if I sell my truck to old mate down the street and he comes back one day and says, oh, there's a crack here where you te- you told me it was repaired because of an accident. And I, I go back to my insurer and say, hey, I need this looked at because it was repaired by XYZ and you guaranteed it. So they need to take it back and look at it. And we haven't had any of that yet, which is good. So that means all the repairs that are getting done out there through, through, through our policies are, are standing up. But if it does come up, then that's something that we've definitely got an inclusion for. So you won't be left with a dodgy repair and some insurer just going, sorry, mate, all done. Yeah, no, that's a that's a big thing because, yeah, you, you do see so much work that, you know, even the colours don't match and they fade over time and it, it really stands out, you know, especially if you've got something that, that you're taking to a show each weekend, sort of polishing it up and putting it there for everyone to look at. It's That's going to wear on you real quick. Exactly. Uh, a, bi- a big thing and on the insurance aspect is if you ever have any damage done to your car, it's, it's kind of our responsibility financially to get the funds back into that claim, to get the vehicle back to how it was before the accident happened. Um, there's, there's no way we can tell you kind of how the job's going to be done. But once you've chosen your repairer, because you've got that choice, hopefully you take it to the best person for the job. And they know what they're doing. But as, as we've discussed, people make mistakes. And that's why that guarantee is there. So that mistake can be rectified if it needs to be. So if, if I've got my old classic truck, but I've also got a brand new, you know, 2019 Ford Ranger, you, you guys will insure them both? Yeah. So we package them up. So there's different levels of multi-vehicle discount, um, all the way up to a 20 to 25% discount off every vehicle if you get into the magic number of 7 plus. But as soon as you go one, two, three, the discounts just start stacking up, which is fantastic. And then we can actually have a look at what you put in for the kilometers for each vehicle. And you might have just guessed and we'll say, are you really going to be driving three cars, 40,000 kilometers a year? And we can kind of fine tune it to suit what you need. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Because, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty pretty normal when I speak to anyone who's into classic cars it's not really just one. <laughs> it's kind of it's a it's a sickness. It definitely is. And then you're going to need a car trailer and a box trailer to move all your junk out of the garage every six months. And you'll need a motorbike. And like once you start thinking about, well, if my trailer gets stolen, I'm out a few grand. So you just we try to package it all up so it's all easy to deal with. Yeah. So so you guys will do bikes and trailers and things like that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we don't do things like caravans or like camper vans and things like that, but anything that you could think 
uh, a, a motoring enthusiast would want. So bikes, cars, trailers um, will look at trikes because, just because they're interesting, but we don't get many of those on the books. But we, we, certainly when we do, we enjoy speaking to the people who build them because they're a different breed, those guys. And a, a question I was going to throw at you too is, you know, say I've got uh, an American import uh, that's got a full airbag system in it, let's just say. Uh, for insurance purposes, what what do you need to see paperwork on that vehicle? Do you do you need to see uh, an engineer's report, for instance, um, or does it just need to be registered and you're happy? How does that work? So when it comes down to modifications, um, it's it's a very black and white statement in our in our uh, fine print, which is just the product disclosure statement. So it states that modifications must be legal. We, we aren't here to tell you if it's legal or not. You as the owner, it's your responsibility to do that. If you ring up and say, look, it's bagged, it sits on the ground, it's got 24-inch steelies on it or something crazy, it's, it's up to you to make sure that's legal. So on the other side of that, as long as we know and you've told us it's legal, we'll cover it. If you have an accident, we're not going to turn around and say, that's illegal. It's Again, it's your responsibility. But in saying that, if you if your accident is let's say let's say you ran a red light and just because you didn't see the light or something like that and you hit another car and you damage your car and their car then it wasn't the airbags that caused that accident it was driver error so just because you've got airbags that doesn't make that insurance policy void with us because that that again that's not what we're here to do if an accident is 100 percent the cause because of that modification, then there might be room to say, hey, look, we might reduce the amount we're going to pay or we might decline it. But the odds of one modification being the one and only absolute cause of an accident, uh, the odds would be out of control. You, you could barely blame any accident ever on just one modification, whether it's legal or illegal. Yeah, no, for sure. So... If I listen to the podcast and you know, and I want to get in contact with you guys and, and get a quote, you know, we jump on the website. I'm going to assume that, you know, the the click downs. If I'm looking for a general quote, you're not going to have my truck the way I've built it. You know, so obviously, is there is there an online system for getting a quote, or are they is it best to call up? What's the process for someone who's got something that's maybe not just a, you know, bog stock, fifty seven Chev pick up they've got something that's you know been been quite modified how how do they go about chatting to you about working out all that stuff yeah so so as you mentioned the website is there to quote and it it does a bulk of the lifting on the quoting aspect um anything modern will be there just because red book or glasses guide pre-populates all that stuff but we have things all the way back to 1902 um, and we add things to that list constantly so if it's not on the website it's definitely best to give us a call and uh, we're, we're more than happy to pick up the phone and have a chat for as long as it takes to get through. Um, we, we, we love nothing more than talking to people about their projects. It's, it's definitely a perk of the job, uh, getting to exchange things, just having a good chat and not turning it into an insurance conversation where all you're doing is asking for facts and figures and churning people through the system. It's, it's definitely good to relate to people. You never know what you'll learn from someone when you talk to them. So it's great to have that, that option. Um, for people who have policies already or just random questions, 
You can jump on Facebook and talk to us through there. You can jump on our Instagram. We're engaging with people on that all the time, which it's, that's the beauty of having it on your mobile phone. If you get a notification, you can answer someone's question outside of business hours. But yeah, definitely a, a bulk of the quoting gets done through the website and then on the phones, which is how we like to do things. You can get a lot done in a conversation on the phone. Yeah, no, that's cool. And uh, one of the really cool things you guys have got going is, you know, I, I suppose bit of your drive on the social media side, but you've got the, the Sunday Driver series. Yeah, so that was just an idea in a in a kind of a chat down at the pub with our, our marketing guys. They were handling our like all the imagery and the, the captions on our photos and stuff and doing the targeting and all that internet science. And then they said, how about we do a, a series? Like you've got all these guys on the books who have these beautiful cars and who are kind of names in the industry why, why don't you have chats with them and get the cars out and film them so we did that and the first one we put out was andy's roadster and getting to be there when they were filming it and hearing that thing and just seeing the excitement on his face when he's getting interviewed we started planning a lot further out so initially we had four episodes on the books and now we're thinking about well how many can we do where does where do we stop there's all these different types of cars all these builders all these little parts of the automotive scene let's just try and crush it all so the next one of those will be out end of this month or early october and that's with kyle from smith concepts um he's got some awesome awesome stuff and he's one of the friendliest blokes you'll talk to and he's, he's good for a laugh so that episode will come out soon and then the next one will be out later in the year and we'll just keep going from there no it's cool it's, yeah it was that was good to watch you know you can see the passion and and I mean, you know, I asked you a bit about your your dad. I mean, seeing seeing how involved his dad was in in automotive, you know, he he was never going to do anything but build cars and and have nice cars in his shed, was he? Yeah, exactly right. And Mario in person was just he was he was just a, a I don't know how to describe him. He was a bit of a larrikin, but he was also pretty serious, and he knew what he was talking about, and he knew everybody, and he had time for everybody, and. He was a massive loss to the scene in general, and I, I know a massive loss to Andy and his family. But man, what a what a guy! His his car collection was absolutely nuts as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, a bit envious looking at uh, at what Andy's got in the shed. But uh, obviously, a few of them were his old man's and sort of car that's you know just going to sit there and keep insured and and be a Sunday driver because you're never going to sell an heirloom like that. Yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what Andy said too. He's he's got cars that he'll never get rid of, and that's just the way we are, I guess. Yeah, that's good. All right, mate. Well, I I think that covers most of the the questions that I I could think of. Uh, is there anything else that you know? You I don't know if I want to throw the word you know throw a pitch out there, but uh, you know, obviously, all the guys listening to the podcast are uh, pickup truck enthusiasts most of the time, and and either have something or they're building something, so. Um, you know, you guys aren't paying me any money. I, I just pulled you out of the hat in some ways to have a chat. And I'm, I'm not saying that I think you're the best insurance versus anyone else because I don't have any experience in that. But uh, certainly another option for people to have a look at. And, and is there anything else that you feel that we could get across? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, and also we're not here to say that we're a better insurer than anybody else. We do what we would expect. And what, what we would expect is the best level of service. 
So we're just open to having chats with people. You might have been with Shannon's or Famous Insurance or Rhino Insurance or bloody NRMA Classic and Vintage for the last 10 years and it just crosses your mind one day that you want to see what else is out there. We're here to have that chat and you you won't hear one of our team bagging another insurer. We're not about that. We're just about being the best we can be. So if, if anybody wants to have a chat, jump on the website, have a read. Uh, as I said, we've been around for a decade, so we're not we're certainly not new to the scene. Our claims team are just absolute superstars. Ring up, have a chat. If you see us at a car show, if they ever start happening again, uh, we're more than happy to have a chat there as well. No, that's good. It's, it's funny, you know, like you say, you guys have been around 10 years. So I hadn't heard much about you, but, you know, I – I barely even insure the shitbox I drive daily, so I'm not really in the scene. But I, I was having a look at, um, you know, some reviews and ratings uh, online, and it never ceases to amaze me when you read people's reviews and ratings. You know, someone had given you a three-star rating because they have never claimed and they don't know whether you'll be good or bad when they do claim. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why is that a three-star rating? Like, you know, yeah. unbelievable. Online so, reviews yeah. are one of the most entertaining parts of the internet for any type of business or brand. So seeing some of the stuff that gets put up, you, you're really grateful that someone's put in the time and effort and left a great review and mentioned the staff member that they dealt with or things like that. But then other times you'll get a one-star review saying your website sucks or something. <laughs> <laughs> which is it, it could be an internet connection error that's out of your control but when um when we go through our reviews because we do we are um an online based brand with our marketing and we do have a quoting facility on the website we we pay attention to the reviews um and then we'll collate the uh the the data so to speak and say well this review is just junk so don't worry about that so when I'm reading reviews for other companies now, I'll be like, well, that's junk. So that star rating is stupid because all of these silly reviews make a difference. And it's it's good when people leave a review and actually put some substance behind it. Then you get a real idea of what happened there. Yeah, I mean, you, you probably want to hear from the guy that's giving a genuine one-star re- review because you want to know what you need to do to, to not have that happen again, you know, rather than some guy, yeah, like you say, just doesn't like your website or something like yeah, I, I don't I don't take reviews too heavily. You know, I know personally for myself, and I probably should do more of it. But you don't you don't get on board and review a restaurant because you had a really good meal there. You, you get on board and review it because you had a shit experience, and so you tend yeah. to get more negative reviews than positive. You know? Yeah, you're definitely right. Yeah, so I mean, I I feel like the most interactive audience we have is on Facebook, and um, we will get someone who'll say something stupid like my car wasn't listed you guys are a joke which happens because we might not have your 1940s wheelies jeep specific model listed on the website i mean we can but we didn't know it existed until you just told us about it so work with us a little bit but then i mean sometimes we'll go and we'll see that and before we get a chance to respond and say hey give us a call we're happy to fix this and work it out for you one of our existing clients will be like, oh, I, I just rang up and they helped me out straight away. And it's like, well, my job's done. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the social media monster is good and bad. Mm. Um, so, so you said you're, you know, you, you're a member of NA still, is that right? 
Oh yeah, I'm in negative camber. So oh, negative camber, yeah. We've um I've been on board with them for almost five years as a full member. Before that it's a hang around and we'll see if we like you sort of situation. Um I was at a truck show up on the Central Coast one day and Laurie had a set up there and I was there with Shannon's and we were kind of, it was us and the chop shop right next to each other. And Laurie just kind of said, oh, you come for a walk. When are you going to get serious about building that truck and join NC? So I, I was like, well, the man has spoken. And uh, I just started hanging around with everyone and it was, it was great. I mean, I've been in a couple of different clubs. Uh, zero altitude I was in for a while and then no regrets I was in for a little while as well and both of those kind of the the relationships just it wasn't really like a family to me sort of thing I mean that's just the way it went but and as soon as I started hanging out with NC and going to shows and hanging out in sheds and just shooting the breeze all the time it, it was just a much better fit and it's it's such a good club to be a part of. I mean, the American contingent is hundreds of members, uh, mini trucks, full size, classic, random '80s mini trucks with the roof cut off into roadsters with crazy paint and just everything you can think of from a truck point of view. It's it's there. SEMA SEMA trucks and like show winnie trucks, cover trucks. It's all it's just out of control. No, that's cool. It's it's good. It's good to you know, I am very rural here where I live and you know, for us going to cars and coffee and having twenty cars there's a pretty pretty big day. So I I don't really have a head around, you know, like a, an inner city clicky club like that. But it, I, I think it would be a really cool thing to, you know, especially just to be able to get help and and get advice on stuff you know obviously guys have done a lot of that stuff and quite experienced yeah definitely i i think the best part of this club is we have a show every year it's called east coast cruise well, except for this year thanks covid um and it's we all head down to the station at jinderbine and everyone's invited and we get hundreds of people there and all the trucks are there and we get to go for cruise up to the last remaining bits of snow on the sunday it's just it's it's so good. It's a lot of work. It's so much work. But when everybody from like Victoria, Queensland, Perth, Sydney, Adelaide, everywhere is just in this one place at the one time and people have driven thousands of kilometers to be there, it's just it's, it's the greatest weekend of the year for, as far as trucking and cars go because you're just in your element and everyone's just having the time of their lives. Yeah. Is, is it acceptable to trailer your car there or do you have to drive it? No, definitely. I mean... If you asked me that question 10 years ago, I'd probably call you a pussy for using a trailer, but knowing how much money is going into this sort of stuff and knowing like on the back end from work, from what I do for work, how much money goes into repairing these sorts of things. If there is an accident from hitting a kangaroo in the back of Threadbow, it's, it's if you bring a trailer, more power to you. That's a bit of a flex actually. If you can say, well, I've, I've got my own car trailer, mate. What do you got sort of thing? And how many of those trailers are bagged? A few. A few. I mean, there's a place in Girawin, I think they're called Nevco or something. They do some killer bag trailers and everyone just kind of copies their design with sweet swing arms on kind of strut setups and stuff. It's pretty sick. We, we've got a couple of golf buggies getting around on bags because people are too lazy to walk. But it's <laughs> brilliant. I love it. Yeah, I've been seeing like in my Instagram feed or something, there's a trailer plans for these bag trailers that they sell. I don't 
I just I wonder I wonder whether they're legit and whether they're legal and all that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's crossed my mind a couple of times. I mean, there are companies that are manufacturing them as well, but the thought of somebody kind of doing a bank transfer for a thousand bucks and getting a set of blueprints and then just whacking it together in the garage, that's not something I want to be driving behind. But if if you've bought it and it's got a warranty, then by all means go for it. All right, Brett. Well, we might wrap it up, and uh, I'll let you get back to um, chasing clients and, and doing what you do. But I appreciate you coming on board, and uh, and definitely another option for people uh, that hadn't heard of uh, you guys. And and good to hear that you know you're a mini trucker and you're you're involved in in the scene. So uh, I think I'll have to get a quote on my truck. I think at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, reach out through the website, phone, social media, whatever you're comfortable with, and we'll get it sorted. Cool. So, uh, websites www.enthusiast.com.au, uh, Facebook and Instagram, and it's worth jumping on YouTube and having a look at that Sunday Driver video. I think you guys put a lot of time and effort in that, and it looks really cool. So, thanks again for your time today, Brett. Brilliant, mate. Thanks for having me. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad. So please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket. You'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.